Thank you for tuning in to the Crossover Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and grows your faith. To learn more about Crossover, visit our website at crossovernorman.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Crossover Norman. Enjoy the message. Hey, if you love Jesus, say I do. I do. Man, can I get a boomer? Super. My goodness. Listen, I feel like I need to apologize. Um, I had doubts. Anybody else have doubts? Be honest with me. All right. Had some doubts. Had doubts even down to the last minute. Amen. Listen, when there's a song like that that we just sang, like, it, it almost, like, I want to come up here and ride in the spirit. Like, I, I literally want to, like, catch that groove and, like, spirit just take us. So, like, I think that let's get back in the spirit. Uh, let's pray it up. Dear Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for a time like this. Uh, Lord, I beg and I hope and I pray that, that your spirit just continues uh, to be with me and let your word flow through me. Uh, let this just be a time that you are able to um, help us be able to learn your word and be able to grow in your word and, man, just be able to hear it and apply it and uh, take grasp of it. Lord, we ask this all in your name. Amen. Now, I want to kind of kind of be able to maybe catch a different speed tonight, because I want to ask you a simple question, is how many of you would like to be able to read the Bible just a little better? Awesome, that's great. Like some of y'all are like, hey, when I read the Bible, I read things like there's a seven-headed dragon with, with crowns on his head, and like, like what, what's going on there? And then on the other side of the, the Bible, I read like this Bible uh, story that I heard as a kid in vacation Bible school about uh, Noah and the ark and like this is rainbows and sunshine but the more I read it it's like no he killed like everyone on earth except for like Noah's family and, and two of every animal right and I'm just, it's just like trying to understand what's going on here and why this happened and, and these dragons and then everything in between like there's some things that are easy like I can grasp onto some of these things in Proverbs uh, but then there are some things that are just so theologically deep that man it's hard for me to understand. Listen, tonight I, I, I want to kind of change gears a little bit. It, it, are y'all enjoying midterm so far, right? Everybody? Um, yeah, crickets. <laughs> I want to be able to teach y'all just maybe one way to be able to study the Bible and to be able to maybe even see something like this in the future text because Paul writes in this way about a lot of things. And it's this little thing that's called a chasm. And a chasm is essentially this. It's like a sandwich, all right? And it's a sandwich. You got the meat of a text that this is the main point of the text. This is exactly what he is talking about. So now, before we get started, let me catch you up for some of you who haven't been following with us that Paul is in prison. And he knows that this could very well be the last letter that he could ever write in his entire life. And, and sadly, he didn't know this, but just a few short weeks, even maybe a month or two after this, is actually when Paul uh, paid the ultimate price for following Jesus, and he was, uh, he was actually martyred for his faith. And, and right now, Paul is, is saying um, to Timothy, this is uh, his follower that followed him for years in ministry and he is telling this young Timothy 
everything that has the culmination of his ministry, all the education that he learned, all the experience, all the highs, all the lows, and he's trying to scrape the bucket on everything and pour it out into this letter to be able to encourage Timothy, who is, who is right now, he is struggling to hang on. He is trying to keep his head above fro, uh, afloat. He is trying to remain faithful when everything around him is being faithless. And Paul is trying to tell him, listen, last week we learned about how to be a soldier in Christ. And he's like, listen, I want you to keep the main thing, the main thing. You need to keep this mission, this mission that God has given you and has declared over your life. Keep this as a main thing. Don't get distracted by anything else. Like, keep this as the main thing. And listen, all will go well. And today he he takes a little different turn and he says, we don't only need to be a, a, a good soldier, but we also need to be a worker that's approved by God. So what are we going to look at today? We're going to be in chapter two and I'm going to do things a little different. I'm actually going to give you what the meat of the text is first. So this is, I'm, I'm going to teach y'all something. For one page of notes, I want you to write out uh, the chasm. This is the structure that we are going to be flowing in. But on the next page, I want you to write the flow, that just your normal notes that we do every uh, crossover. So this is what the meat of the passage is. Write this in the middle of your page, right across the, ta- the, uh, right across the middle of the page. This is what it says in verse 20, verse 21. Now in a great house, there's not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore... For honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So for a worker to be approved by God, this is what Paul is saying here. This is how you can study this text. If you're not an honorable vessel being used by God, then what he says here is you are dishonorable vessel. That is not holy, that is not honorable, that won't be useful to the master, that won't be good for every good work. So when I, when I see this, I just think, man, I love how Paul illustrates things. He makes things so clear for my ADHD mind, right? Like, this is what's honorable, this is what's not honorable, like, this is the things that you do, these are the things that you don't do. Like, it just helps me be able to see what he is trying to say in his text, So to help us understand and see this sandwich, to be able to understand what he is trying to to say in the meat of this text, I think we need to look at the top piece of bread, all right? We need to look at the very top thing that he says is in verse 14, and it says this, now Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. And if you skip down to verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermonius and Philetus, who was swerved from truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But continue it, and I don't know if it's up there, but it says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You are called to not be a quarrelsome person who indulges in foolish and ignorant controversies. 
Essentially what he is saying here is that if you are a Christian, the way that you communicate, the way that you live life, the way that you do life with other Christians matters. Because the way that you live and the way that you talk, the way that you even have conflict, it can either cause division or it can cause unity in the church. And I think that this top piece of our chasm here is it saying that if you want to be interactive with Christians, obviously there's going to be some spiritual differences. And if there's spiritual differences and, 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 and friction happening, don't fight over spiritual matters with other spiritual believers because most of the issues that you're fighting on should, are, are secondary or what he says, they might even not be true like he, he, he pointed out with the two people that we had already seen. Now your question is, is what are some of these secondary issues? Now for, for me, I have seen many people say, man, hymns need to be a part of church, amen? Any, any, any small churchers out there, right? You're like, man, hymns? I gotta bust open that hymnal. I gotta be able to sing How Great Thou Art, okay, all right? If you wanna be touched by Jesus, go listen to Carrie Underwood and Vince Gill. It'll take you to the throne, all right? Like, I get it. I got to see my How Great Thou Art. I got to see, you know, a lot of hymns. Like, that's what it's going to be. And I have seen people fight till they are blue in their face that, that hymns need to be a part of church. But on the flip side of that, I have seen people say, what the heck is a hymn? Do you, some of y'all, do y'all even know what hymns are, right? Like, some of you are like, what's a hymn? Like, I never heard that. And I've seen people go in conflict about hymns and no hymns. And I've seen them fight about Holy, holy, holy is the best thing ever, and, and, and reckless love is something that we need to sing every Sunday, and it's like this big old conflict that is happening. But on the side note of that, I've also seen that so many people go to church only for worship, and they never actually get to fully experience the real church. But maybe more on the, on the real side for y'all, what are some secondary issues that I've seen even amongst college students and, and young singles is, what about speaking in tongues? Some of, y'all, some of my charismatic friends right now, but uh-uh, don't you be talking about my tongues up there, all right? Don't you, don't you do it. Don't you do it. But be honest with me. Like, how many people have argued about is tongues legit, is tongues not legit, and, and people are fighting for, man, tongues are legit. And then if they start speaking tongues in some churches and three other people are going to turn around and be like, man, why are they speaking in tongues? Have you read Acts? Have you seen what, we, the, what is exactly parsed in this verb about this thing, about this thing? And I have seen friendships divide because of speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues. What about free will versus no free will? I've seen this very subject cause division in churches. I've seen it cause division in small groups. I've seen it cause uh, relationships to break up. I have seen families split apart for this one little issue that is is so prominent for so many people. What does Paul say? What does Paul say to to the Christians here that are following Timothy? He gives what dishonorable looks, looks like. He says Christians who are quarreling with other Christians about secondary spiritual things 
But what does he say is the result of these things? He says here, it says that it will, um, it will ruin the hearers that are listening to it. The person who isn't Christians, who are fighting over these, these secondary issues, things that, that are not the main issue, and they're looking at these things and quarreling and how they handle themselves, and people who aren't spiritual or know Jesus, they're looking at them like, man, why would I ever want to be like them? Because look how they handle each other. And not only look how they handle each other, but I don't even understand what they're talking about. And why would I try to understand what they're talking about when they're handling it the wrong way? And man, part of that doesn't even make sense to me. But what does he say? A good worker whose aim is to be honorable would do. And this is what I call the second phase of our top layer. I call this, I call this the lettuce and tomatoes here. Yes, I'm real creative. I know. Verse 15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You know what this verse really points out is that your life should be lived for an audience of one, and you need to do your best to present your life to God and God alone. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're not try, trying to uh, outsmart anybody. You're not trying to do anything. You are trying to live for an audience of one, and that is God. And a worker who does not need to be ashamed, the only one who cannot be ashamed is one who is rightly handling the word of God. What Paul is trying to say here is that if you are a worker who is trying to present your life to God, the only way to do that is by allowing this word of truth to come over your life and in your life and through your life, and you abide by the word of God. Now, he does give two warnings if this does happen. Through this word of God and letting the word of God live through you, you will have quarrels with other believers, and you might even preach false truth like he pointed out with the other two people. Now, students, let me just ask you a question. In a world that cancels people for your differences, if you look different than me, like, I'm just going to cancel you. I don't like you. I don't respect you. I don't even want to have anything to do with you. In a world that's like that, do you think that brings God glory? Like, what do you think would bring the most glory to God? Would it be canceling and arguing and criticizing people who believe differently than you with secondary issues? Or would it bring God more glory for us to not focus on our differences, but focus on the one thing? thing that should unite us, that we are broken and desperate people in need of a loving Savior to come and save us from our sin and our shame now and forevermore. Everything is about Jesus. This whole word is about Jesus. It's all about his death, burial, and resurrection and what he did for us on that cross. And if that matters to you, then your life should look like the life of Jesus. And it's about serving, it's about loving, it's not about arguing and criticizing minute points. You want a good litmus test on whether you are one of these people or not? I just ask you this. In the last year of your life, what have you spoke more about? Have you spoke more about defending your stance on something, or have you spoke more about the main issue, and that is the love of Jesus Christ for lost people? Another good test 
to see if you are a person that is rightly handling the Word of God. When did the Word of God change something in your life last? If you were to, to take a notation over the last six months of your life and say, man, you know what? Like, I read this and it changed that. You know what? It helped me change my focus on this. It helped me think this way. It helped me think on what is right, what is pure, what is holy. It brought me out of anxiety. It brought me out of depression. You know what? It did this for me. Man, you know what? It convicted me of this. When was the last time that the Word of God convicted you over something? I think for many of us, we say, man, probably a long time, if, if, if not ever. When's the last time that the Word of God was actually opened up in your own home and not only at crossover at church? The Word of God needs to be the life of God for you. It needs to change your life. See, the more that I study this book, students, the more I understand I am in the Word of God, the more that I see how weak I am and how strong He is, I see how many times that I fail and he picks me up. When I'm faithless, he is faithful. And, and the more that I'm able to live in this word of God, I'm telling you, it just, it, it doesn't, it makes me not want to gossip. It makes me not want to tear down other churches or tear down other ministries because I see that we are a people that is trying to promote the love of Jesus to this world. And it humbles me. Not, and I don't want to ever put people down, but I always want to lift Jesus up. And I don't want to be able to fight over secondary issues, but I want to be able to fight for the cause of Christ in this world. This leads me to my second thing. We're going to start, we started at the top piece of bread. We're going to start at the bottom bread now. We're going to work our way up. Let's look at the bottom. It says this in, in chapter 2, verse 23. And it says this, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Now imagine that. He says, don't. Don't, don't do quarrels up on top. And he also says, don't be quarrels and do quarrels from the bottom, right? It's a sandwich. Now listen to me. Here's another mental note that you need to read when, when you're reading the Bible is that any time that an author repeats himself, it means it's doubly important, right? Like, like just remember, when your mom repeated herself, the second time was probably a little more stern, right? Like, get in this house now, right? Like, my wife says it with such grace and cheer and love. My kids just flow into the house because of how nice my wife says it, right? Amen. Sometimes I feel like the neighbors are going to call us for how I speak to my kids. Get in this house now, right? It doesn't say that we don't need to have these spiritual controversies. You actually look at this text and you can actually see that these quarrels are actually something different. It's more of a personal controversy, and I would assume what Paul is trying to say is that if you want to be a dishonorable vessel and not an honorable vessel, be a part of dumb controversies that make no sense. Like if you want to be dishonorable and you don't want to live for Jesus, then go ahead and be a part of controversies that makes no sense. And the only thing that, that, I can, that makes sense to me that Paul is trying to call up those who are Christians who try to depend on why, sorry, my words, words are hard, guys, right? That these are Christians who are trying to defend why they act the way that they act. Like, you sin, 
and then you try to justify why you sin. And it's not only a controversy maybe with some of your spiritual friends. It might even be a controversy with some of your spiritual leaders. But ultimately, it's a, spir- it's a spiritual um, defensive attack against yourself. And then you're trying to argue with yourself. Why am I the way that I am? And then you try to reason with yourself. Well, I do this because of this. Like those people that have no spiritual awareness of, of how they act and how it can change the whole environment of the room. Like, does anybody know that one person that's just rude to waiters? Like, anybody know that person? Anybody that's like your dad, right? Amen. Like, and it's embarrassing. You've been a part of that where they're like, now why'd you order? I did not order this, right? My, this steak is medium, and I said medium rare. Send it back. And you're like, shame on you, okay? <laughs> Get out of here, sheep, right? Just kidding. Jesus loves you, right? <laughs> but several of those people that I know, several of my own friends, I have seen them, they will be little people, they will be rude to people, and then that next morning they might teach a Sunday school, school class and tell them about the love of Jesus. And I'm like, bro, some of them might even get up in the pulpit and preach the, preach the sermon. Hello, come on now. And they're like, you know what, sometimes I get a little ruffled. Good thing I married sweet Jessie over there. She's Mother Mary to me, right? And they try to like belittle the situation. And I'm like, no, bro, like, like you're a bad seed, all right? Like, like, like no. Was that that bad? Okay. <laughs> it's like you can't joke your way out of this. Like you need to change some things in your life, all right? What do you justify? Like, like what do you justify? Like what do you maybe argue with some of your friends about in your own life? What do you maybe argue about even with yourself in your own life? Like, what are some of the things that you try to justify in your life? I think college here, and I'm thinking, what, what about the movies that you watch that movie? Like, and maybe a nudity scene pops up, or they're dropping F-bombs like crazy. Like, like how are you feeling inside? Be honest. Like, like, have you become spiritually just aware of, like, man, I probably shouldn't be, like, watching this. But then you just, like, but everybody else is, right? Justify watching this thing. What about how much you drink? Did I say whether you drink or not? No, because that's a, that's a conversation for another day. I just assume, okay, because I'm no idiot, that if you are over 21, most of you will probably drink, okay? Now, if you're under 21, you are not abiding, abiding by the laws of the land and you're going against God's word. So stop, okay? That's, that's just a sin. But how much do you drink? All right? My question is, is, is if you are drinking and you are drinking to fill something, what are you arguing with yourself that next day about? Like, like do you have that Holy Spirit that's saying, man, that's just too much? And, and then you start justifying, like, well, Lord, I just felt a little bit. And then it's just a little bit more next time. And then you took it too far. And it's just, it becomes this revolutionary door that you just keep on repeating and repeating. You keep on drinking too much and too much. And, and, and you literally just walk in the sense of shame rather than walking in this firm foundation of Jesus. 
Because you know, I mean, it's up to, it's between you and Jesus. Like, like, you're, like, it's not for your mom and dad to tell you anymore. It ain't for anybody else. Like, you are an adult. You can go fight for our freedom. Like, like it's between you and Jesus, whether how much you are drinking is, is being a vessel that is holy and righteous, being you, be able to be used, or you are being dishonorable for Jesus. What do you think is the biggest thing that I want to talk about tonight? What about fooling around with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Halloween night, everybody going to be here? Side note here is a relationship sermon's coming Halloween night. Everybody going to be here for Halloween? Amen? No costumes because we're adults, okay? Come on. So many Christians are like, well, at least I'm not actually like having intercourse. I'm not having actual sex. Like, like, let me just be honest with you. Like, you can never feel holy when you're fooling around. You can't. You can try to shake it off. You can try to keep on going on. But you can't tell me that you can fool around with somebody and that next morning you're like, you know what? I'm ready. Today's a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm ready to tell somebody about Jesus. You can't tell me that. Because you know that you feel that, that, that shame in you. And you can't look at yourself in the soul exposer, right? The next morning, you're brushing your teeth and you're looking around because you don't want to lock eyes with you because you know that it is not right, it is not holy, it is not just doing what you know that you are not supposed to be doing. But don't give up. Because we do have the ketchup and the mustard, amen? Here it is, verse 22. So flee your youthful passions, amen, hallelujah, and your heart. Verse 24, and the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. He gives us a chance to be a worker approved. He says, flee from your youthful passions, like, like flee from the things that you're not supposed to be doing. Run from it. That's what flee means. It means turn around and bolt from the things that you know are not God-honoring. And then what he says, don't only flee from, but, but run to. Run to righteousness. Run to faith. Run to love. Flee from it. Be righteous. Be loving. Be holy. Now, now I want us to just take a minute about what what we just read. Listen to me. He is saying right now, if you are doing these things, if you are caught up in these transactions that you know are not holy, that are not God honoring, he says flee from it. He just says stop and run. Like how awesome is that? Like he's saying you don't have to go through this gauntlet. You don't have to walk through any more shame. You don't have to walk through any more pain. If you are being this person and you don't want to be this person anymore, then turn around and run and then you can be a vessel that is used by God. How awesome is that? Like how freeing is that, that God can literally forgive you at that moment from running from, from who he wants you to be and start running to the person that he wants you to be in him. That is huge. That is, that is the most spiritual thing that you can ever imagine, that God will forgive you right where you are at. I preached this repentance sermon. Um, it was my first year as a college ministry 
uh, right out of seminary, and and literally, guys, I, I literally just had one one verse that I was I, I was really excited about, and I was like, listen, tonight, students, if if you want to, if you are tired of being the person that you are, and you're tired of living in the sin and the shame that you you have, and and you wanna you wanna be the person that God wants you to be whether this is for the first time or this is for the hundredth time, if you want to do that, all you have to do is remove yourself from where you're from, place forgiveness on the feet of Jesus, say, Jesus, I'm sorry for who I am, for what I've done, and then, and then you give it to Jesus. And it says in the Bible that Jesus will throw that as far as the east is from the west and he will think about it no more. You are forgiven. You are right, right standing. And I remember it was, a, it was about 300 people there that night. And I remember that not, and I was like, if you want to do that, please come forward. And I'm standing there. Uh, it was coming to the last song. And I was like, well, I guess this didn't hit. One girl walks up. And sweet Ashley, she kind of pulls me to the side away from everybody. So I, can, I, I knew that this was going to be pretty serious. And she looks at me and she says, Brent, listen, like, like I just... Like, I have just been living in sin for the last three years of my life. And, and she goes, I've slept around, I've, I've partied, I've done things that I'm not proud of. And like, I've continued in that because I've been walking in that shame consistently. So you're telling me right now, even though I know who Jesus is, right? I haven't been living for them. You're telling me right now, if, 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 I, if I just give him all my whole past, he will forgive me and he will make me new and he will make me fresh and, and I can walk f- away from this and I can start making, I can start l- being proud of who I am again. And I said, absolutely. Like, you can trust Jesus right now. You can, you can ask for forgiveness and he will throw it as far as the east is from the west. And she did it that night. And no lie, I think I had another semester with her and she did great impact for, for the kingdom of God. But here's what's crazy is about four or five years later, her husband calls me. Her husband calls me, who's a minister now, which is amazing. And he says, listen, my wife told me about the time that you, you preached this message. And listen, like God changed her life. And listen, that message is the message that she shared to me. And it changed my life back to Jesus. And my wife has been telling that same message for the last three years. And I have seen her help change hundreds of people's lives, so many lives around. So listen, you want to be honorable students? You can't live in dishonor. But what is beautiful about Jesus is that you can be made new in him, whether it's the first time or it's right now. And I know that some of you, you want it. And I know that so many of you, you want to flee from that sin and run to that righteousness. And you can. You can be the vessel that can be set apart, that can be useful, that can be ready for every good work. But then Paul throws this little thing on this sandwich. And I call these the, the, the secret pickles. And the secret pickles are like the Chick-fil-A pickles. Anybody with me? They're, they're on the bottom. They got the perfect crunch, right? Like, like, like they're just, they just make the sandwich. It's great. Some of you are like, I hate pickles. Well, you might not like Jesus either, right? Just kidding. <laughs> God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses, ready for the students, and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do 
his will. Here is the why that we are a good worker, set apart to be holy, useful to the Father, ready for every good work. It is because when you are who you need to be, God can use you to help others escape the snare of the devil that he has them captured in. And, and, and I got two things, and I'm going to close up here. The first thing, and this is the real thing, and I want you to be real honest about this, and I want you to really look into your own life. I think that the, de- the greatest snare that the devil can use is Christians acting like the world and not promoting Jesus. I think the devil can use us Christians and manipulate us and control us to be able to keep non-Christians, non-Christians by the way that we act, the way that we live our life, the way that we talk, the way that we walk. And I believe that he can use us as a trap against keeping people away from Jesus. Because we don't flee from bad things. We don't stand up for what we believe in. And we talk like the world and we do everything else like the world. And quite honestly, I think that some of us are okay with that lifestyle. But I know that deep down, because I've been there, I know that deep down you have a line inside of you that that says, but what if, Jesus, what if? You just broke through all the junk in your life and you started doing the thing that God wants you to do. I'm telling you, it would be absolutely worth it. Here's the second thing I want us to know is that when I went to Arkansas State at the first ministry that I was talking about here, when I got there, there was 30 students. Um, And listen, I was just cutting my teeth on ministry. Uh, They had just, they had been through multiple college ministers, and they just really wanted to be faithful students and faithful people of Jesus, and uh, I think it was 20 guys and 10 girls, and these 30 students, I'm telling you right now, like we just kind of bonded, we prayed, what was our vision? Our vision was to reach Arkansas State University, and I'm telling you, these students were on fire for Jesus in such a real way. In just one year, I kid you not, in one year, Uh, those 30 students walked onto that campus and they led 108 people to Christ. Those 30 students led 108 people to Christ. They grew that ministry from 30 students to 350 students in one year. Those kids were on fire. They loved Jesus. They loved each other. They prayed for one another. Uh, they, they, They not only lived for him, but they also died for him. God, how can I serve you? God, how can I work in you? God, how can you use me? And I'm telling you, those 100, those 30 students did something amazing. My question to you is, we have hundreds of students. Even on midterm week, we got hundreds of students in here who I just wonder, what would happen if we caught the fire, and we started fleeing from things that, were, that are dishonoring, and we start being the people of God that are honoring a vessel that can be used, a workman that God can be able to use to spark a fire on this campus. Listen, a fire on this campus isn't going to work with a one worship night. A fire on this campus isn't going to work with some church trying to come in here. A fire on this campus is not going to work just with one ministry. A fire, and that is to be on fire for Jesus, living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, and telling other people about Jesus. Amen? My question is, are you going to do it?